The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass, presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, it helps the show, it helps us to get out to more people. It means a lot to us. Recently, we did an episode on healthy technology use, and it got me thinking about the idea of cyberbullying. When you're young, being bullied can be so hard. It can be all-consuming. It's all you think about. Now imagine that the bully can reach you at any time through your phone and can embarrass you in some kind of major public way on social media. Horrifying. What can you as a parent do? Well, high profile guest here to tell us, Mark Groman. Mark is a cybersecurity lawyer and consultant and has been for the past 21 years. He was also the senior privacy advisor to President Barack Obama. Thrilled, thrilled for this one. Let's check it out. I think one of the worst things about bullying is the waiting for something to happen. And in my day, at least you'd just be waiting during the school day, but now it could be like midnight, something happens to you. That's exactly right. And so it could be at any time and it could be um, at any moment while you're engaging online. And traditionally it is taking place in social media, which shouldn't surprise you because that's where teens and tweens are today. And so you're trying to interact with your friends or others or your girlfriend. And all of a sudden, right, you're being bombarded with vicious or harassing or embarrassing posts or messages that are intended to hurt you. Yeah, people seem to get so Twitter fingers online, like they'll say things they would never say to your face, but you know, they'll just say whatever. What's the psychology behind that? Just because someone's not right in front of you, you feel more comfortable or? That's exactly right. People have a false sense of anonymity when they're online and they're also not looking at you face to face and they're not seeing the reaction um, from their behavior. And so for a lot of people, that sort of feeling that you are protected or hidden behind this computer screen, um, somehow they check their common sense and their you know, behavior at the screen, and they say things that they would never, ever say if they were in person and looking at you. And so the comments, the posts, they're more vicious, they're less thoughtful, um, and that really also can exacerbate it and makes it that much more damaging. Mm. Well, I think if someone was like doing this to me today, like Bobby the adult, it'd just be like, well, you're blocked. And that's that. What's stopping kids from just blocking people that are harassing them? I think that is a critical question for us to explore because a lot of times adults don't understand that. And I've experienced this with kids where 
the bullying was taking place on one platform. So just as an example, let's say Facebook, because so many adults are familiar with Facebook. Well, you might say to somebody, well, if it's one person on Facebook who's bullying you, why don't you unfriend them or right, block them, don't follow them, um, or get, and eliminate their posts, or even get off the platform and maybe you'll feel better. But for a teenager, it simply isn't that simple. They are thinking about it as part of their world. It's important to them. They don't want to look like a coward online. And so often they'll take it and they'll stay there and they won't take what we believe is a common sense action of unfriending someone. They'll actually tolerate that cyberbullying for months or longer. What a pain, or it's just a difficult time to grow up for sure. There's no question that this digital world that we've created, um, including this world of social media, right? Of Instagram, of TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, Snapchat, it has certainly um, complicated adolescence and brought a whole new range of challenges to growing up. Well, how can you prepare a child for that then? Do you just sit them down and be like, here's some of the things that could happen, here's how you should respond, or well, what do you even say? Well, my answer to that would differ depending on the age of the child we're talking about. And I think that would make sense because you have to tailor your message for the particular child you're interacting with. Hopefully what parents are doing, and if you're not, you should be doing is starting that conversation when you hand a child their very first um, device or iPhone. And hopefully maybe that's 12 or 13 and explaining to the child exactly what this device is. We call it an, a phone or an iPhone, which frankly is absurd because I don't know a single kid who uses the phone on this device, right? It's kind of like handing a kid an automobile and the keys and calling it a tricycle, right? We're handing the kid a mobile computer with extraordinary computing power and access to millions of apps and the whole digital world. And that requires sitting them down and talking about how to use this device responsibly, what are the limits that are acceptable in your home or elsewhere, and understanding the technology. So if it's an iPhone and it turns out like 90% of kids today are getting iPhones, which I find amazing, but they are. So mom and dad or dad and dad, whatever it might be, grandma, show your child how to use it. Show them the privacy settings, the security settings, and you, if depending on the age of the child, can set limits, right? With screen apps or other kinds of parental controls and say, well, at this age, this is going off at nine o'clock or you can only have two hours of social media or one hour. You can do that with a gaming platform. So it's about having that conversation initially and then an ongoing conversation as they grow up. Like just setting boundaries that seems like a huge thing or a lot of this could be solved with you get your hour and a half of social media. I, I think it's interesting how you have this ability, all this cybersecurity knowledge, and it's almost like having a superpower in a way, like you can do so much with it. Do you ever just have the urge to like hack into your child's phone and read everything they're saying? Or how do you manage like uh, boundaries with keeping an eye on things? Yeah but not just like reading through all their text or something. Right, so first let me say that managing this cyber world with our children is incredibly difficult. And although I would be an expert, 
it is incredibly difficult for me as well. And I will tell you that I have had parental controls on my son's phone and he's hacked the controls. Nice. So, um, so it, it, it can be really difficult. The issue you tee up is how do we handle privacy or a right to privacy for our kids? Um, recognizing that there's gonna be a battle and it will evolve over time and we can put controls on a phone and our kids will evade them. Um, my view, again, this, this changes with age. So when I had a younger child, right, there was no right to privacy. If you were gonna be on um, a social media or have this device, um, I had the right at any time to monitor um, and uh, as they were growing up, I did. As they entered the tweens, and particularly um, now my son is in high school, right? If I observed them being responsible generally, then we would loosen up. But the, by the same token, as I got older, they had access to more and more social media, right? More apps, more potentially harmful content. And so it's not about dad being hands off, but it's taking a very specific approach. Um, you can, you certainly can, put apps on a phone that will allow you to see every text, every post, every communication. I have never done that. Um, but there may be a legitimate reason or a good reason for a parent to do that in some cases. There are other settings you have that I do use on say an iPhone that show me how many hours a day is my son online. And when it exceeds something absurd, I'll check in. And I'll also say that my view and what I've told my son is, um, this is not your phone or mobile computer, right? I have given it to you, I have bought it for you, and I want you to use it and have all the benefits. I can also take it away and I won't hesitate. Lots of parents somehow feel they can't do that. That's nonsense, right? I am paying for the phone service, I am paying for the Wi-Fi, I am paying for the internet, and I bought the phone. And so it is yours to use and use responsibly, but if you don't, there can be consequences. And then to the privacy issue, I will say, I've also said to my son that I will have the password always. You may not change it. I will have the passwords and I will not use them except in what I would consider to be, um, I wouldn't go far as saying emergency, but circumstances that, that would require me to take a look at something in particular. Because let's face it, I can't look at 10,000 texts a week and I don't want to. No, they're no. ridiculous and they're stupid and mostly it's emojis. But when there is an indication that either my son or some other child or his friend is potentially in a place of harm or there's something potentially problematic going on, then I have the right and I have in limited circumstances gone to look at certain content or texts uh, or social media applications to try and get a handle on what's taking place. But yeah. it's not general. Um, I use it when it's warranted and it's also kid dependent. Hmm. Yeah, it's different for different kids, different ages, different circumstances. Um, I imagine it's probably led to some battles over the year, huh? Oh, you know, I, I, I used to joke that when I worked in the White House um, and on technology and I would have arguments and debates on policy with, I mean, up to including the FBI director or the secretary of DHS and we'd be fighting over technology and then I would go home for dinner. And then at the time, it was my 11-year-old. And we're st I'm still fighting about technology. And it's worse at home, right? Because my son and I are having a battle about gaming and what are the appropriate games and the new console and talking with strangers. And is that appropriate? And being on Discord. Um, 
And so that battle continued. And it's, I think every parent will tell you it's a part of life now. And in so many ways, the fights at the White House were easier because no one in the White House ever said to me, but Mark, that's not fair. Everybody else has a phone, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm grappling with that as a dad. We all are. And we need to set limits and we need to stick to it and, you know, make sure our values stick with our kids and that um, they don't check their common sense when they pick up the device. Yeah. Well, another thing is for young people, the fear of embarrassment and everyone talks about going viral and you could go viral for doing some kind of cool dance or something. But then there's also the fear of like, what if something bad comes out about me and then everyone in my school knows and people I don't even know know and uh, that sounds horrifying. And that is the world that kids today live in and they're slowly starting to embrace it and to learn how to navigate it. Um, but that is a difficult place to be. So, so you know, it, it ranges from everything from what it could be called revenge porn. So I know that all parents don't like to hear this, but the fact is a very large percentage of teenagers and adolescents are sexting today. So sending naked or nude photos to their boyfriends, girlfriends, or others. Um, but then what happens when there's a breakup or if there's a bad breakup? Uh, you know, the fact is most boys actually are not deleting these naked pictures of exes. I don't know. Who and so who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. And so there are times when these get circulated or shared uh, in ways that were not contemplated and where there's not consent. Um, those are things that kids really need to think about with their actions online. What I say to my own son when we talk about the online world is anything you post or do, just pause for not even a second because their attention span isn't much longer. So go with this. If it's going online, it will be public and it will be permanent. So the first one about public is so when we think about friend groups or how many contacts or friends do we have on our social media pages, you know, adults will have a few hundred, up to a thousand, something reasonable, maybe you're a celebrity in a different category. But I've seen teenagers like 15 year olds with 4,000 Instagram friends or contacts. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way they know these people. Uh, and yet they view them as their friend network. And they'll say, well, my Instagram account is private. It's not open to the public. Well, those 4,000 people, right? Someone may copy it or resend it or share it or, right? Do a screenshot of it. So you have to assume it will be public and permanent because delete online does not mean what you think it does. And deleting something on a social media platform does not mean it's gone forever. It doesn't mean it's been deleted on the servers. It doesn't mean it's off your device. It doesn't mean someone else hasn't already copied it or shared it or distributed it. So if you don't want it to be public and you don't want it to be permanent, don't put it online. Yeah, it's tough though, because young people haven't developed the part of their brain that is like thinking ahead in a big way. And you don't think as a 15 year old, like, oh, if I post something ridiculous in 10 years, I'm gonna look like an idiot or- That's exactly right. So adolescents, haven't developed the frontal lobe, which is where you have your judgment. And so they aren't able to think about what are the consequences beyond one minute from now, right? It's going to be about that instant gratification. Um, and this is one of the things I really hate about social media. 
and how it takes advantage of and exploits kids because it's not just that you want the instant gratification, but social media will drive you to post things you really wouldn't want to in order to get likes or mm-hmm. order to get views or order to get positive feedback, right? And we see this all the time with, say, for example, teenage girls will post a photo. First, it's in a shirt. Then they post something in a tighter shirt and they get more likes. Then it's a bikini top. They get more likes. And so the messages they're getting is, well, if I keep doing this, I get more likes, more positive feedback, the dopamine effect. And so they're not thinking about the longer term consequences um, of what this might mean. Um, They can't. And parents need to understand that. They really can't. And so that's why talking to them, um, educating them is so important. Yeah. Are there other ways we can help with cyberbullying and help support our youth that we haven't talked about? Well, there's an interesting issue that we haven't talked about, which is what do you do if your child is the cyber bullier? Oh, yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's important because obviously, right, those kids have parents. We all think it's not our kid, but it can be. And so we, of course, want to look out for our own child being the victim of cyberbullying. And you want to look out for, you know, some emotional distress or odd behavior. You want to inquire. But you need to intervene. If you think your child is in any way bullying someone online, parents need to be role models. We need to step in and we need to say, that's not okay. That makes perfect sense. And yeah, you never want to think of your child as someone that could do harm to someone, but kids do that all the time. And probably everyone has at some point. Look, if you look in a a group chat of a group of, and actually I will tell you that the real issues that I've seen, or not real issues, forgive me, but more about the, the highest volume or the really happens in middle school, like that eighth grade year um, can be really damaging, seventh, eighth into ninth, um, watching what our kids are doing. But those group chats really can become vicious. Um, and sometimes it's unintentional. Uh, oftentimes it can be intentional, but it can be anyone. And so teaching our kids that if you wouldn't do it offline, then don't do that behavior online. If you wouldn't do this to your friend, if you were sitting in a circle, it doesn't become okay because you're on a social media platform. Exactly true. Do you have any interesting stories from the White House talking with anyone about cyberbullying or any high level conversations that stood out to you? Not not particularly about cyberbullying, but many conversations about internet privacy and privacy online, and in particular as it relates to kids, and whether or not we should expand legislation, whether or not there should be greater penalties for exploiting children or their information online, because um, there really are serious issues that we're all grappling with, and they need to be addressed. And we actually, in my view, at this point in time, we need new laws to impose additional restrictions. Well, it was an honor having you come share your wisdom with us and just thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. I'd love to come back and talk about other issues about the digital world and what parents can do to help their kids uh, navigate this. Because the goal here is this. We want our children to get all the benefits of this great online world and technology. And we want to minimize the harm and the adverse consequences. And that requires active parents. Nice. Honor to have you on the show, Mark. 
This has been The Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.